What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow us on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, on Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com. And with that being said, let's get to the content. All right, we are making our way. We have two divisions left to go over, and we're knocking one of those divisions out today. We're going over the AFC East. That's the Patriots, Dolphins, Jets, and Bills. So I'm going to start with the Patriots. Overall, as a team, they have had some changes. They lost linebackers Kyle Van Noy and Jamie Collins. Everyone says that they have an elite defense this year, but I don't think it's going to be as good without those guys. I mean, both of those guys got signed for more than $10 million a year to their new teams, with Jamie Collins going to the Lions and Kyle Van Noy going to the Dolphins. So I don't think it's by any means fair to say that they're going to have an elite defense again, especially because their front seven is really not very intimidating. This is the guys in their front seven. Lawrence Guy, Bo Allen, Dietrich Wise Jr., Chase Winovich, Jawan Bentley, Dante Hightower, and John Simon. That is not intimidating to me at all. Like, most of us listening probably only recognize half of those names. And they don't really have any game breakers in there except for Dante Hightower. So right there off the bat, I would already say that their defense is not going to be as good as everyone thinks it is. Now, obviously, they also lost Tom Brady. And Mohamed Sanu may or may not be on the team come September. Right now, he is, but he doesn't have any guaranteed money. And the Patriots are very close against the cap. So he could be a cap hit. We'll see. But as of right now, I am projecting Mohamed Sanu to be there. Last year, the Patriots ran 1,100 plays. That is a lot among the league lead. And it was brought about by a decent enough offense to at least maintain drives and a great defense that got off the field really quickly. I do not expect that to be the case whatsoever this year. Their defense is still going to be probably top 10. And yes, they're still, you know, they still have Belichick, so they're going to have a good team overall um, defensively, but I don't think it's going to be anywhere near what it was last year for many reasons. One reason just being that when you have a defense that elite, it's hard to repeat that even if you have the exact same cast, and now you're losing two of your three stud linebackers, so that's going to be a tough uh, repeat for them. And their offense is also going to be less efficient, so their defense is going to find themselves on the field faster with a shorter amount of time in between drives Um, because I I do expect the Patriots to get a lot of three and outs and that's not something that happened too much with them because of course they had Tom Brady. So let's get into Jarrett Stidham. So we don't really know exactly if it's going to be Stidham or Brian Hoyer but I'm going to go with Stidham and that seems to be the general consensus right now. So that's who we're going to go with in our projections. It's hard to project him because he has no NFL experience. He will throw a decent amount because the Patriots did throw the ball a lot last year, and that was with a great defense. I do think that a big part of the reason why the Patriots are able to throw so much, though, is because they could have those long, meticulous drives. That's not going to be here this year, so that's going to bring down the pass attempts. But then you also have the defense getting a little bit worse, and that's going to drive up the pass attempts. So I don't think he's going to be throwing the ball as much as Brady did last year, but he's going to be throwing it enough to make some good fantasy options in the offense for us and for our purposes. So let's get into the running backs, and then we'll get into the receivers. So we have Sonny Michel. His ADP is super low right now, and a lot of people like taking him as a flyer. Actually, surprisingly, he's not somebody I'm looking towards. Usually, whenever I can find a a late running back that is a starter for a team, I'm usually going to take them there. But here are some things that worry me about Sonny. So he averaged a horrible 3.7 yards per carry last year when he was near five in his rookie year and he didn't look like the same guy at all like he you just watch him and he doesn't look like the guy that got everybody so excited in the playoffs of his rookie year he also has his knee issues which could play a part those are risks that I don't want and to throw add on top or to throw on top of his risks he's also not a receiving back and then they have Damian Harris who they drafted in the third round and so that's pretty high equity. He's probably going to see the field. They still have Rex Burkhead. They still have James White. And so, yes, Sonny Michel's probably going to lead that team in carries, but he's on a team with four solid running backs. 
and he did not look good, not nearly as good as he did. So there are just a lot of factors coming to me in Sony Michelle's case that just kind of makes me steer clear of him. Um, and here's something else too. Last year, Sony Michelle got 62% of the running back carries last year, and Damian Harris only got four carries, four carries on the whole season, a third round pick. His carries are definitely going to come up, and they're probably going to pull a little bit of that from Sony Michelle. And he's probably going to take a little bit of that from Burkhead and all the other guys that got sprinkled carries last year in the Patriots offense. But I do think he's going to take some from Sony as well. So I don't think he's going to be the workhorse that we saw last year. And if he averaged 3.7 last year with Tom Brady and Mohamed Sanu for the t- times that he was healthy and Julian Edelman and all that, their offense is going to be worse this year. So he's not going to average better than that. He might average worse than that. I mean, maybe a little bit better, but there's no way Michelle's going to return to what we hope that he could be or what he was in his rookie season. Then we have James White. James White actually got 17% of the carries last year. That probably decreases because, once again, Damian Harris, I think he's going to take some from Michelle and from White and from others. But James White has a huge target share. Last year, his target share as a running back, this is a lot, 16%. And I expect the exact same, if not more. He's a great value in drafts right now. He's a great target for people that go zero RB. And I usually find myself in all the leagues that I've already drafted in and in mock drafts, getting James White as my RB three or four. And that's a great, great addition to your team, especially because he's going to be very consistent. James White is always going to be getting four to five targets a game. He's probably giving you a good floor of about seven to eight points in PPR because he's usually pulling in three to four receptions for 30 to 40 yards. So I think James White is a good addition, and to your fantasy teams, I think he's somebody that you should definitely be targeting. Um, The whole Patriots offense kind of is actually at good ADP values right now. Like I said, I'm staying away from Michelle, but he still does present a decent value in drafts. It's just I like other people around him better, so that's why I would never end up with him specifically. But between Edelman and James White and Nikhil Harry, all of them, they're all great values because everyone's so down on that New England offense since Tom Brady is gone. So I think that if you look continue, continuously to this team, you're going to find good values all throughout the draft. And I would recommend trying to land either a James White, Nikhil Edelman, or Nikhil Edelman, Julian Edelman, or Nikhil Harry, one of the three in every single one of your drafts. Because one of those three guys is going to be very good, if not all three of them, or probably two. And I would put my money on White and Edelman. I still think Harry's going to need a little bit of development, but he could end up becoming something really good for Dynasty, and he's a great buy low there. So that was James White. Uh, I kind of went off on a tangent, but now we're going to get more specific into Julian Edelman. So last year, he had a 25% target share. Over the last six years, on a 16-game pace, and for those of you that you know don't like that I have to say that because he misses some time, he doesn't miss as many games as we all think. Like when you first think of Edelman, you think of his injury risk, you think it's like he can miss half the season or something like that. It's not that bad. He usually misses between two and four games per year, which, I mean, honestly, you can deal with that. It's not a big deal. So over the last six years, on a 16-game pace, he averages 152 targets per season. And that's a lot, especially considering that doesn't take into account, that's not target share, that's amount of targets. So whether the Patriots passed 100 times more one year, like whether they were 600 one year, 500 the next, 580 the next, no matter what, Julian Edelman always had a consistent target pace of 152 average and I think the lowest if I'm remembering correctly when I was doing my research the lowest I saw was like 144 that he was on pace for and the high was like 165 so he's a very high target guy a very good guy to have for consistency purposes especially if you get a big boomer bust wide receiver one like for me one of my favorite pairings is if you get a guy like a Mike Evans, who's going to have his huge weeks because of his touchdowns from Brady, but the fact that he's one of very, very many options in that offense is going to have down weeks. I love to pair him with a guy like Julian Edelman because Julian Edelman is that consistency that you need. Because if you get two bust weeks from your wide receivers, that's really going to hurt you. And you will get a couple from Mike Evans. So I like to have that good base, that good safe floor with Edelman, similar to James White at the running back position. So... Overall, I would be taking Edelman pretty much anywhere. He is a wide receiver too for me right now. He's in the back end or the high end of the 20s, the back end of the wide receiver two area. And right now he's being drafted way later than that. So I love Julian Edelman. I'm drafting him a lot too. Especially because you have to consider, you know, his new quarterback, Jarrett Stidham. 
So Stidham's not really a guy that goes deep often. He's not a big, um, fancy, high-flying, uh, big risk-taking type of quarterback. He, I expect him at least, and from what I've seen in college and stuff, he seems like the type of quarterback that is going to love to target that intermediate and short part of the field. And that's why I love Edelman and White so much. The system also probably supports that. It is great, going to be great for Edelman and White because they're some of the best players and they've been consistent with anyone. It's I don't think it's just a Brady thing. I think it's a Belichick thing. So I think that you'll see that carry over. I don't think there's any risk whatsoever with White or Edelman. Even though Edelman gets hurt sometimes and misses a couple games, his risk is really non-existent because of how low you're drafting him. So it's not a big deal. I would go heavy running back and grab Edelman late as a wide receiver. I always do this. I'm always a heavy running back at the top of drafts type of guy because it's easier to find wide receivers later in drafts and on the waivers throughout the season. Yes, you always have your like one between one and three running backs that show up on waivers that are great every year because of somebody getting injured, but everyone knows that and they're going to have to pay up. You're going to have to pay up so much on waivers to get running backs. Whereas wide receivers, you can find so many of them that end up being really good all season that you barely had to pay anything for. So I would much rather, you know, slam running back high and then get wide receivers that I know I can count on, like, for example, Julian Edelman. Then we have Nikhil Harry. He struggled immensely last year. He missed half the season, though, and he was a rookie. We know that rookies struggle in the Patriots system, and, I mean, it's just notoriously hard for them. I still believe in Nikhil Harry's talent. I by no means think that he is a bust or anything close to that. I think he's going to take the number two wide receiver role this year and ahead of Mohamed Sanu, and especially if Sanu doesn't play. Actually, if Sanu doesn't end up playing and they cut him, I'm going to have to move Nikhil Harry up my board because I have him and Sanu pretty similarly uh, ranked in terms of target share and receptions and all that. So if if Sanu leaves, Harry's going to be an even better value. And I don't necessarily think that people are um, low on Harry right now because of Sanu. I think it's just because of how he performed last year. So I don't think his ADP is going to go up if Sanu gets cut. So Harry's going to be a really good value. Um, he's a good late round flyer, and he has that touchdown potential. He's that big receiver. He's a good complement to Edelman, and it's just it's somebody that is worth taking a shot on. If you could buy low on him in dynasty leagues, I definitely would. It's going to be somewhat hard because he was such a high pick last year. Um, but if for some reason, if the guy's just done with him, if if you know they value him at like a second round pick or worse, I would go ahead and try and get Nikhil Harry. Then you have Sunu. Not much to talk about for Sanu. If they keep him, I think he's the fourth option in the passing game behind Edelman, White, and Harry. And I'm not really going to touch him in drafts. He has no upside because of that. He's not even in a good offense. Sometimes you have upside with guys that are lower on the depth chart, but that's because they have a good offense or a great quarterback, like guys that we look towards in like a Chiefs offense or a Packers offense or the Bucks offense or whatnot. So, so new, I'm not really touching. Let's get into the projections now. Jarrett Stidham, he's one of my lowest-ranked quarterbacks. I'm not going to be drafting him at all. I have him at 15.6 points per game, 3,600 passing yards, 21 touchdowns, 150 rushing yards, and one rushing touchdown. Then Nikhil Harry, I have at 8.7 points per game. Like I said, a good flyer. 85 targets, 45 receptions, 600 yards, 6 touchdowns. Edelman, I have at 14.5 points per game. Like I said, he's a back-end wide receiver, too, for me. He's in the top of the 20s right now. I do have that one division left to project. So at worst, Julian Edelman is going to be around my wide receiver 27, 28. But he brings that consistency that is a great compliment um, that you can grab late in drafts. And I have him at 145 targets, 95 receptions, 1,050 yards, 6 touchdowns. Then Mohamed Sanu, like I said, not touching him. I have him at 7.4 points per game, which although that's not much lower than Nikhil Harry, and Harry is somebody I'm drafting, I'm drafting Harry for the upside, for the potential, and Sanu doesn't have that. That's why I'm not touching him. I have him at 80 targets, 50 receptions, 550 yards, and two touchdowns. Sonny Michel, like I told you, I'm not high on him, even despite the fact that his ADP is pretty low. I have him at 9.4 points per game. He's outside of my top 30 running backs. I have him at 850 rushing yards, 10 receptions, 50 receiving yards, 8 touchdowns. And I have him at 8 touchdowns too, so that's pretty rough because if he doesn't even get near that amount of touchdowns, it's going to be hard for him to even produce where I have him at because I don't see him getting like more than 1,000 rushing yards or slightly more than that. Then James White, the last Patriot, I have him at 11.4 points per game, 150 rushing yards, not really used in that part of the game, 
but 70 receptions, 550 receiving yards, and six touchdowns. So basically, overall, for the Patriots, my quick summary is Edelman and White are my favorite two people to draft. They're both great values in redraft. And honestly, if you're going for like a win now, if you have a team that you think can win right now in Dynasty, they're really cheap too. So you can grab them for to have them for, you know, two years in Dynasty and go for a run. And then Nikhil Harry is somebody that I'm worth taking a shot on. And if you could buy him low in Dynasty, go ahead and do that too. And that's the Patriots for you. All right, now we're going to talk about the Bills. And I'm actually excited to talk about them as a team. Not so much for fantasy, actually. We're going to have some disappointments, I think, this year in that offense. But as a team, I think they're going to be really good. I think they're going to win that division. And they have a chance to make a dent in the playoffs and possibly go on a good run if we see some continued development from Josh Allen. Last year... They obviously got very far, and Josh Allen kind of looked uncomfortable in the playoffs. I think if he can kind of get a... Honestly, he looked nervous. Like, coming from an athlete, and I'm sure most of us have played sports, it just seemed like he was very nervous. I mean, one of his fumbles in the... What was it? The Texans game, where he just was running and just threw the ball behind him 10 yards, and luckily it went out of bounds. Like, some of the things he was doing was looking crazy but I don't think that that's him as a player I think that was just the nerves catching up to him so I think next year they're going to be very good now with that to the side this year they bolstered their defensive tackle position they added free agents Vernon Butler and Quentin Jefferson both of those are really solid ads um, in my opinion then they also added AJ Klein for depth at linebacker they traded for Stephon Diggs they added defensive and AJ Epinesa in the draft in the second round which a lot of people had him going in the first round and he was rated by the Draft Network and PFF and just a bunch of people very highly. Then they also added Zach Moss in the third round, the running back. So they will still have an amazing defense if it's if anything is going to get better. And then they're going to have a great run game, just like last year, with Josh Allen and the running backs. And the pass game should be more explosive. So overall, I think their defense got way better. Um, and then their offense also got better. Last year, they had 513 passes to 465 runs. 2018, so the rookie season of Josh Allen, they had 499 passes and 468 runs. So that's pretty consistent. They're around 505 passes and around 466 runs. But a lot of those runs are Josh Allen, so you have to take that out. So at first... At first glance, it might seem like Devin Singletary and Zach Moss are going to be both really good, and there's enough carries to go around, but there's really not, because Josh Allen runs a lot of those plays. So once you take out his running, it's not going to be great for the the running backs, and we'll get to that. But I am going to start with Josh Allen, and I think the offense overall is also going to be more efficient because of the addition of Diggs, and that's another reason why I'm pretty high on them as a team overall. So let's get into Josh Allen. He had eight rushing touchdowns his rookie year, nine rushing touchdowns last year, and he averaged 570 rushing yards total. That's a big part of his fantasy game, obviously, because he's not a great passer. That probably continues the rushing yards, but I think he'll have maybe one or two less rushing touchdowns. I haven't projected at seven. It's very possible that he gets nine, and you know that, that'll bump him up a lot, because right now Josh Allen is, I think, my quarterback eight or nine. But if you gave him one extra rushing touchdown, it pushes him up to like six or seven, and one more pushes him to five. So it's it's hard to project the rushing touchdowns, but I think that with the addition of Diggs, so slightly better options in the passing game, Allen's going to be less likely to run it in. And they added Zach Moss, who's probably a better runner than Frank Gore was for them last year, and I think that he's going to be able to punch them in, whereas Gore was getting stopped at the goal line, and then Allen just ended up running it in after a few failed attempts from Gore. I don't think that's going to happen with Moss as much. And that is who I project to be taking those goal line carries, not Singletary. So I think that's part of the reason that he's not going to have as many rush touchdowns. We could see him go down to like five. And if he goes down to five, that's going to be at the level where he's disappointing fantasy owners because I don't think his rushing yards, while it's going to be similar to the last two years, is going to be the exact same. Like like I said, 570 yard average, I would be Surprise if it is above that, because like I said, the addition of Diggs, better passing game, um, and two better running backs, or one extra better running back with Moss over Gore, but two really good running backs in the um, in the rushing game, so I don't see him needing to run the ball as much. He did improve from his rookie season completion percentage. He actually did it by a lot. His rookie season percentage was 53 
and now he brought it to 59. That's a big jump from year one to year two. I think if we can just see a slight, slight jump, and I think we will um, with Diggs, then I think that's going to be really good for their offense. He's also going to have an improved touchdown rate because of Diggs, um, and it's probably getting repetitive because of the Diggs thing, but he is the type of receiver that really makes that kind of impact on a team because of his... First off, his route running is tremendous. He's one of the best route runners in the game. He provides a great deep threat, and he has good hands, and he's great with yards after the catch, so that helps as well with efficiency. Josh Allen also cut his interception percentage in half from his rookie year to last year, and so we saw development overall throughout all parts of his game, and I am going to project a 59.5% completion percentage. So like I said, I do project it to get better. And last year it was 59. So why am I not going to 61 or 62? Well, a big reason for that is because Diggs is a great receiver in all aspects that I just explained. But he's also somebody that is going to garner touch, uh, not touchdowns, sorry, passes that are farther down the field. And those are going to be harder for Josh Allen to hit than short passes. Um, not that he's necessarily very accurate at short passes either, but obviously common sense we know that it's harder to throw balls deep down the field than the intermediate and shorter routes. So he's going to have a higher yards per completion, Josh Allen is, um, because Diggs is going to be getting more yards per target than what he was throwing to last year. So that's part of the reason why I don't have his completion percentage going up too much, but he's still going to be madly efficient compared to last year. So now let's get into the guy that is making all these changes for Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. So both Cole Beasley and John Brown were above 22% target share last year. John Brown had a 24% share last year. I do think that Diggs is going to be the number one, as most do, and he's going to get more than John Brown did last year. And if John Brown got 24% of the targets, I think Diggs, it's a safe bet to say he'll get around 25%. And so that's what I'm putting him at. He is going to have a lower catch rate than his NFL career has shown us to this point because the quarterbacks that he has worked with, Case Keenum and Kirk Cousins, are more accurate, in my mind, than Josh Allen is. So he will see a little bit of a reduction in there, and it's not the best thing for Diggs in terms of the situation change, but it's going to help that team very much so. And so right now I have him as in that Julian Edelman range, actually. Um, I would draft him in front of Julian Edelman um, because he has the potential to be much better if some reason... Josh Allen starts, you know, throwing him the ball 30% of the time, or if Diggs just breaks a couple to the house that, you know, are usually counted as outliers and we don't project for. But if that happens, he could end up being a really good um, top end wide receiver too. But right now I have him as a back end wide receiver too. Then we have John Brown. I think the addition of Diggs will relegate John Brown back to that old, um, the old role that he used to play with the Cardinals. And he's just going to be going downfield a lot more. Diggs is going to take some of those intermediate routes away, so that's another big reason. John Brown's going to have a higher yards per reception because of the routes that he's going to be running are going to be deeper on average, but that's also going to bring him a lower catch rate. I still think he's a decent fantasy option. He's a guy that you can get super, super late now, and he was madly consistent last year. He was one of the few receivers that always gave you a good floor, and which is honestly, it was pretty weird considering the situation he was in with Josh Allen. Um, you don't expect a quarterback like that to give you a consistent receiver, but John Brown was that exactly. He's not going to be that anymore, and maybe Diggs will, will show us that consistency. I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case. Hopefully it does, because if Diggs is consistent and then still has his upside of you know being Stephon Diggs, then he could end up being, like I said, a really good receiver. Then we have Cole Beasley. He is the one that's basically going to be forgotten about because of the addition of Stephon Diggs. I'm not going to be looking his way in drafts. He's going to lose a lot of targets. Like I said, he was above 20%. He was at 22% last year. That's There's no way that that's going to happen. Plus, you have him competing with Dawson Knox now um, for targets, with Diggs and Brown being the clear number one and two. Then we have Devin Singletary. I'm projecting him to split carries with Zach Moss 55 to 45. That's a tough thing to look at. Much like the Colts backfield right now, with the addition of a rookie and a vet, um, Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack, and we don't really know how that split's going to go. It's pretty similar here in uh, Buffalo. And so I kind of go the safe route when I'm trying to project splits because you don't want to go basically set yourself up or plant a flag on like a 
35 or a 70 30 because that's such a drastic difference that if you're wrong on that it's going to completely ruin your projections for both of the running backs so when i take the safer approach of a 55 45 which is similar to what we saw last year with singletary and gore i think that that's a safe way to go about it i do have zach moss taking more goal line carries than devin singletary and singletary already suffers from no touchdown opportunities so he can't really get worse in that category and if anything, we've seen him break a lot of runs. A lot of them, he just couldn't finish into the end zone. I think we could see him finish a couple of those into the end zone, break a couple of big ones off when he's getting used, you know, between the 20s. And so he actually still, despite the fact that Zach Moss is going to be better than Frank Gore, might have more uh, touchdown opportunity this year than last year. Then you have Josh Allen, who's always poaching the touchdowns from the running backs, which is going to hurt Moss and Singletary. But I think it's going to hurt Moss more because Singletary is going to play that receiving role, which Moss is really just going to be like the goal line back and short yardage back, in my opinion. So he's the one who's truly hurt by Josh Allen, not Singletary. And with that said, I'll just add my finishing touches on Zach Moss because I've said most of it already. Um, The last two years, running backs for the Bills, the last two years combined, the running backs for the Bills had eight touchdowns rushing. That's horrible horrible that's four per year last year Singletary had two and Gore had two the year before that their two running backs had two each or three and one so that's already horrible um I do think that's going to go up like I said with two good running backs instead of one um being Singletary last year and them also having a better offense I don't think Josh Allen's going to run it in as much so you can give a couple more to the running backs and I think I have them combining yes I do have them combining for six this year, I have three for Singletary, three for Moss um, in the run game. But that's really going to hurt Moss because that's pretty much what Moss is going to be living off of. He does have potential if for some reason he ends up being way better than Singletary um, he and ends up being the lead back. He has potential to be really good and to outperform his ADP, but I don't see it happening because what we saw from Singletary was really good last year and Moss was not a super high pick. So these are my projections for the Bills. Josh Allen I have at 20.8 points per game. Um, that puts him at my about QB8 right now. 3,600 passing yards, 23 passing touchdowns, 550 rushing yards, and 7 rushing touchdowns. But remember, if he ends up, for some reason, still running as much as he does has the last two years, he could easily go up to my QB5. Then we have Stephon Diggs. I have him at 14 points per game, 125 targets, 80 receptions, 1,050 receiving yards, 7 touchdowns. He's a, a back-end wide receiver, too, for me. Then John Brown, 11.4 points per game, 105 targets, so 20 less than Diggs, 60 receptions, 900 yards, 5 touchdowns. Cole Beasley, like I said, I'm not looking his way at all, 8.4 points per game, He also because he provides no upside. 85 targets, 55 receptions, 550 yards, 4 touchdowns. Devin Singletary, I have at just under 12 points per game, 11.9. 950 rushing yards, 40 receptions, which is what's going to keep him somewhat relevant. 300 receiving yards and five total touchdowns, so two in the receiving game to go with his three rushing. And then Zach Moss, I have at 6.5. He's one of my worst ranked running backs right now. 700 rushing yards, 10 receptions, 50 receiving yards, and three touchdowns total. Then we have the Dolphins. So before I got into the Dolphins, I knew that they had a whole bunch of additions to their team and definitely made their team way better. But as I did more research, they made their team completely different. Their team is really they're not the dolphins anymore like their team is completely different they have so many new starters this team will actually have seven starters that were not dolphins last year so not only will they have seven new starters and like somebody that got promoted from second string last year no they're gonna have seven starters that weren't even on the team from last year plus they even have more additions and new people to the team that are second stringers um but I just didn't give you guys the number for that. But they have like 10, 11 new players. It's insane. That are going to be like very good contributors. So they completely made an overhaul. Their defense will be immensely improved. They added cornerback Byron Jones from the Dallas Cowboys, who is a top five corner in the league right now. They added inside linebacker Kyle Van Noy, like we were just talking about from the Patriots. Then they also added defensive ends Shaq Lawson and Emmanuel Ogba. They spent $178 million on those four defenders. All four of those defenders are going to make an impact for that team. They also added cornerback Noah Igbenigany from Auburn. And Auburn had one of the best college defenses last year. And they also added defensive tackle Raekwon Davis in the second round from Alabama. 
and Noah Igbenigany was a first-round pick. So they have a first-round corner and a second-round defensive tackle on top of the four highly paid free agent signings that they made for their defense. So they are really going all-in on defense, which makes sense for their coach, who is Brian Flores, which was the linebacker's coach in New England. And he actually did a pretty decent job last year, um, especially on that run that they went on late in the season that basically made them lose out on the first-round pick. But they still got Tua, so it didn't end up hurting them at all because that's where they were projected to be going the whole time. So in summary, the team's going to have a better defense, and they're also going to have a competent offensive line and run game. Why? Well, here are their additions on that side of the ball. They signed guard Eric Flowers. They signed running back Jordan Howard. They traded for running back Matt Breda. They drafted quarterback Tua Tagovailoa. And then they drafted offensive linemen, two in the top 40, Austin Jackson and Robert Hunt. So they have three new starters on their offensive line. And Austin Jackson, Robert Hunt, both rookies this year, top 40 picks, and Eric Flowers that they signed. Then they also have completely different running backs in Howard and Breda. And then they have Tua, who I think is just going to sit right now behind Fitzpatrick. So I think that Tua could really take, dare I say it, but based off the additions that they have made and the development that I expect to come for this team, I do think that Tua, if he's healthy and the same Tua that we saw in college, could take this team to division titles as soon as 2022. I really believe that. It might be a hot take, and I'm fine with that. I would honestly love to see that because Miami, I mean, they did make the playoffs with Tannehill, like, what was it, two years ago? Um, but they haven't really had a prominent team in a long time, a team that has really made a significant impact on the league at all. And I think that they could be headed towards that direction because I like what Brian Flores has been building so far in Miami. Then we have the quarterback situation between Tua and Fitzpatrick. I am projecting Ryan Fitzpatrick for 16 games the whole season um, and just have Tua sitting. I think it's the right call. I think that's what they need to do. A lot of this team is very young, and they will need to develop and gel um, offensive line because you have two top 40 rookies, and rookies obviously are, you know, have a lot of work to do, especially offensive line. Uh, That needs, that's one of the hardest positions to come in and can you know contribute and be great right away at as a rookie at least from my opinion from what I've seen and you know except for like guys like Quentin Nelson but those guys are anomalies so you have those two rookies and then you also have another starter on your offensive line Eric Flowers who wasn't even a Dolphin last year so more than half of your starting offensive line is completely new never played with each other never played in the Miami Dolphins uh, system or with you know gelling with the other linemen that are there so everyone is going to be new to everyone so it's going to be really bad to start like the 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 beginning of the Dolphins season is probably going to look really rough on offense and if you put Tua in to start the season he is going to get killed like I think that their offensive line is going to be good by the season by season's end as they gel maybe like once you get to like week nine week 10 towards the end of the season past that halfway point they're going to end up you know, becoming better. And then next year is going to be when they really have that jump, when they make that jump and become a good offensive line. But Tua's going to get killed in his first few games if he starts, just like Fitzpatrick is going to get killed. Um, and that's why I think that you can't put Tua in right away. He's coming off the injury. Yes, he he's saying he's fine. There, He should be fine for the season. Well, not, but why risk it? You just spent a fifth overall pick on this guy. Fifth overall. That's a huge investment. And you you just it's a risk that you can't take. It doesn't if I was a Dolphins fan, I wouldn't want them to start Tua. Like that's your future. You don't want to put him behind one of the worst offensive lines or what will be one of the first offensive lines when the season's starting with all of these newbies. Um so that's why I have Fitz Fitz playing the the whole season. Mainly to start, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets pulled at some point this season. But I'm not going to project or try to predict which game that's going to happen at. And it's still possible that Fitz plays good enough that they just keep him in and let him finish out this year. And then put in Tua after his um, first year has passed and he's been able to just learn the offense and get better and stronger in the mental side of the game. So when he goes out there, he can just be better focused, not be worried about what he needs to be doing and whatnot. 
and you know lead that team to where they need to go. So Fitz will let it rip as always. He's going to produce great numbers for his receivers, but he will throw less as a total like attempts over the season because they're going to have a better defense and a better run game. He was probably going to be a bit more explosive with Devontae Parker and Preston Williams healthy all year. And he has two threatening him from the bench. And what I've seen with Fitzpatrick as a Bucks fan, when he has that person like breathing on his neck, that's when he plays his best. So I do expect him to produce some good numbers, both as a quarterback by himself, but also for his wide receivers. So let's talk about their new running backs. We have Jordan Howard and Matt Breda. Jordan Howard did get paid and was the first one added, but he wasn't paid that much. He was paid $5 million a year for two years on a 10, uh, 10-year deal, or a $10 million deal. So I don't think that they have to necessarily just completely commit to him because a lot of times what we see is when somebody pays a running back, they completely commit to him because they want to you know show that they were smart and made a good investment. But he's not taking much cap. Um, he's one of the lowest paid players that they added in free agency this season. So he's really not somebody that I think is on their mind in terms of making them look good. Um, I think it's just kind of, you know, somebody that they wanted to add because he's better than what they had at the time. But Breda is even better than him. Um, And Breda will threaten and hurt um, his potential to be great in fantasy because he's not as efficient as Matt Breda. He's just not. Breda is also a better receiver than Jordan Howard. So Breda is going to be the third down back. Last year in Philadelphia, Jordan Howard averaged 4.4 yards per carry. Philadelphia has one of the best offensive lines in the league. Miles Sanders averaged about five yards per carry as a rookie last year behind that offensive line. Matt Breda, his career average is about five yards per carry. And that's behind the 49ers offensive line, which is good, but it has not always been as good. And it's still not as good as Phillies. And Jordan Howard didn't average as much as Breda did. So Breda is definitely more efficient in every part of the game than Jordan Howard. But I still think Howard's going to get more carries. Um, And partly because of the investment, but it's not going to be a thing where he's getting like 70% of the carries to Breda's 30%. So Jordan Howard is going to be probably around four yards per carry. That's what I'm projecting. Because the Miami situation is definitely worse than the Philly situation. So his yards per carry is going to take a hit. And Kenyon Drake, who we saw average 5.1 yards per carry last year with the Cardinals, was averaging 3.7 with the Dolphins. It's just hard to to produce there. And Kenyon Drake is a great running back. So why do I have Jordan Howard proje- projected for four yards per carry if Drake is clearly a better running back than him and Drake only averaged 3.7? Well, mainly because of the additions to the offensive line. While I do think they're going to struggle um, in the passing uh, pass protection and the passing game, I do think that they're going to be an immediate upgrade in the run game and then just get better as the season goes on. So now let's talk about Breda. So Jordan Howard, basically, he's going to get more carries than Breda, but he's not using the receiving game, and I'm not as excited about him as I initially thought. Plus, the Dolphins are probably not going to be a team that has very many touchdowns going to their rushing attack. So Matt Breda, Matt Breda will get less carries. He's going to be more efficient. He's going to get more receiving work. And last year, running backs got 19% of the target share. So Breda's probably going to get half of that, and Patrick Laird's probably going to get the rest with Howard getting like maybe 2-3% with like one target a game. Then we have Devontae Parker. So Breda, um, I do have above Howard because of the receiving. And if you play standard, I would take Howard first, but in any type of receiving, I would take Breda. Then we have Devontae Parker. In the first eight games, when him and Preston Williams were both healthy, Devontae Parker had 52 targets to Preston Williams' 60. Preston Williams then got hurt, and Parker started getting three targets more per game. With Preston Williams being healthy, it's definitely going to hurt Devontae Parker. Preston Williams, on the other hand, is by far the better value in drafts. You're getting him between three to four rounds later than Devontae Parker, and he out-targeted Devontae Parker last year and was better than Devontae Parker when they were both on the field. I do project more targets for Preston Williams this year, um, but not by much. I am projecting um, Preston Williams to have less touchdowns than Devontae Parker, though. Then we have Albert Wilson working in the slot. And this is what's really interesting to me, because Fitzpatrick doesn't love the slot to target the slot as much as other quarterbacks, but the new um, coach that they have coming into Miami... Um, I believe his name is Chan Gailey. There it is. 
Chan Gailey, he likes to target that slot position heavily. And you're going to have Albert Wilson and Gesicki both competing for those slot snaps. And I don't really know how it's going to work out. I don't know if Albert Wilson, because he was hurt most of last year, so I don't know if he's going to be the slot guy and get those slot targets that Chan Bailey likes to um, scheme up, or if it's going to be Gesicki, who was running the slot last year. Albert Wilson was averaging 12.5% of the target share, and it dropped to 11% when Preston was playing. So he's not really a guy that I would be targeting um, in general. Gesicki is partially interesting just because of the lack of great tight ends in fantasy football. You always want to take your shots on the tight ends. So I wouldn't be drafting Albert Wilson, but I would be drafting Mike Gesicki, taking some shots on him. He broke out, and you can't tell, but I'm using air quotes. He broke out last year. Um, He was not very efficient. His numbers were pretty good, but his efficiency was not. He was horrible at breaking tackles. He was one of the worst tight ends after the catch and in terms of breaking tackles in the entire NFL. And he is going to run the slot up uh, against Albert Wilson. Like One of them is either going to completely take over that position and be good, or they're going to split. And that's what I am projecting, is for them to split. I don't think Gasicki's going to be good enough where they just completely commit to him. And Albert Wilson is still a pretty good receiver. Um, He's not as good as what we were hoping for him to be, or at least what I was hoping for him to be when he went from the Chiefs to the Dolphins. Initially, I was very high in him. I thought he could take that Jarvis Landry role, and he was somebody I loved to target, but he's dealt with injuries and stuff. It never came to fruition. So Gasicki is going to be the one that I take the chance on between him and um, Albert Wilson because there are so many receivers in fantasy football you could take shots on. He's not one that you want to take one on. But in terms of tight ends, Gasicki is a decent late-round target because of his potential that he holds if he completely takes over that slot role in terms of the amount of targets he can get. So now let's get into my overall projections. I have Ryan Fitzpatrick at 18.6 points per game, actually higher than I would have imagined, for 3,900 passing yards, 25 passing touchdowns, 250 rushing yards, 3 rushing touchdowns. Devontae Parker and Preston Williams, I'm going to say them together so you guys can compare them. I have them pretty close. I have Parker at 13.4 points per game, Preston Williams at 12.1. Parker, I have at 115 targets to Preston's 120. I have them both about about 65 receptions, but Devontae Parker's much better after the catch. I have him and just gets deeper targets. I have him at 1,050 receiving yards to Preston Williams, 900. And then Devontae Parker, I have at seven touchdowns to Preston Williams, six. Then Albert Wilson is 6.3 points per game for me. Like I said, not touching him. 60 targets, 40 receptions, 400 yards, and three touchdowns. Mike Gesicki, I have at 70 targets, 45 receptions, 450 receiving yards, five touchdowns. That puts him at 7.4 points per game. He is one of my lowest rated tight ends um, in terms of projections, but because of the higher potential that he holds over the other tight ends in his area, I would be drafting him over all of those guys. And With him and Albert Wilson, I have a total of 130 targets between the two of them. You could redistribute them if you want. If you think Gesicki's going to completely take over that slot role, you could take 20 from Albert 60 and give it to Gesicki. And then now you have Mike Gesicki at 90 targets, and that would put him in my top 10 for tight ends. Then you have the two running backs, Jordan Howard, Matt Breda. I have Howard at 8.7 points per game to Breda's 11.4. I have Jordan Howard at 850 rushing yards to Breda's 750, 10 receptions to Breda's 40 receptions, 100 receiving yards to Breda's 300 receiving yards, and I have them both at six touchdowns total, Howard getting the bulk in the rushing game and Breda catching up to Howard with the receiving work. And finally, we have the Jets. The biggest knock on them last year was their horrible offensive line. Luckily, they signed tackle George Fant for $10 million per year, and then they signed center Connor McGovern for $9 million per year. And then, if that wasn't enough, they drafted offensive tackle Makai Becton at 11 overall. Makai Becton is one of the biggest O-linemen that we've seen in a long time, and a lot of people had him as their um, tackle one in this year's draft because there was him, Andrew Thomas, Jedrick Wills, and... Tristan Wirfs, which the Bucks grabbed. So those were the four tackles. A lot of people had them ordered all over the place. Some people had Thomas as the one. He was the first one that ended up going to the Giants. Then some people had Jedrick Wills as their one who went to the Browns. 
Tristan Wirfs was some people's one, who was the Bucks, and then Makai Becton was the other one. But all four of them are supposed to be very, very good. And Makai Becton really excels in the run game, so he is really going to help Le'Veon Bell out. Their overall offensive line play is going to be much better, and they also are going to have a better offense not only because of that, but because of the addition of wide receiver Denzel Mims at 59 overall. Their defense will still be pretty bad. They didn't even really make any additions on that side of the ball this year through free agency or the draft. And so you can expect them to be throwing the ball a decent amount. So let's get into Sam Darnold. The Jets passed 524 times and 521 times the last two years. I think a part of the reason towards them not passing so much despite having a bad defense is just because their offense was not good enough to stay on the field so I think because that's going to change their offense is going to be much better with the improved O-line you will see a slight uptick in their total pass attempts because they're going to be able to have longer drives and sustain them I'm projecting 547 passes this year for Sam Darnold and he was actually on pace last year for 542 so If he was on pace for 542, because obviously he missed the games when he got sick, um, why do I only have him going up to 547 when I was just talking about the slight uptick in the offense's ability to stay on the field and have longer drives? Well, this is why. The Jets only ran the ball 42% of the time this year. So I'm projecting, or last year, sorry. So I'm projecting a huge uptick in offensive snaps total, but I think that that percentage is going to change a bit. Instead of them passing 58% of the time, I think they're going to pass 55% of the time, which takes away um, a lot of attempts from Darnold. So I think that's the main reason why I only have him going up to 547 instead of more than that. And he's going to be slightly better. Hopefully we see him um, develop and he has better weapons with Denzel Mims and Brashad Perryman, who they also added. And their O-line will make it easier for him to have improved metrics as well with more time to throw the ball and be accurate. Then we have Le'Veon Bell. So like I said earlier, the Jets only ran the ball 42% of the time last year. Despite that, he was able to get over 250 carries last year, which is a huge workload. And we love to see that for fantasy purposes. I also think he is going to have a better yards per carry than last year. Once again, same reasons, better offensive line and more receiving threats which means the defenses, when they play the Jets, aren't going to be able to just focus on Le'Veon Bell as much because now you have Denzel Mims, um, who can be a downfield target, um, can take the top off the defense. He's very athletic and fast. Um, His 40 time, you know, shocked a lot of people. And then Brashad Perriman, who can definitely take the top off of defense, as we saw it last year with the Bucks. That's what he was drafted for when he was drafted by the Ravens. So they have some pretty good weapons now. Le'Veon Bell also had 71% of the carries last year. The addition of Frank Gore is going to bring that down. I have it bringing him down to 63%. So I am most definitely bringing um, and considering the addition of Frank Gore and how it hurts Le'Veon Bell. And he is still a very good running back for me this year, actually. And I was surprised to see how good um, I had Le'Veon Bell. But I think that the Jets are are going to be able to run the ball more this year. I have them at 25 rush attempts for running backs per game. And with 63% of those carries going to Le'Veon Bell, as I project, that puts him at 252 carries on the year, which is very good. Considering that he's going to have a better yards per carry and be more efficient, that's also going to help him very much in fantasy. He was utilized a lot last year in the receiving game. I don't expect that to change. And then he's going to get more touchdowns this year. He only had four touchdowns total last year between rushing and receiving. There's no way that he repeats that in terms of being that low. He's going to get way more than four touchdowns this year. He's I have him projected at about eight, I believe. Let me check real quick. Yes, I have Le'Veon Bell projected at eight touchdowns this year. And with the same receiving work, a little bit less carries, but a higher efficiency That actually puts him right now at my RB14, and I still have one division left with uh, Chubb, and who else might jump him? Chubb Connor might jump him, but I highly doubt it, and Mixon will definitely. So between Chubb and Mixon, those are probably both going to be people above Bell, so Bell's probably going to finish at about RB15, RB16 for me, which is very good considering where his ADP's at right now. I love him as a RB2 or even an RB3. 
He's going to be super safe, and I think he has more upside than people really realize. So Frank Gore, there's not much to say. He's going to take some carries from Bell, but by himself, he is of no value in fantasy, especially because he's not going to get any receiving work. Then you have Chris Herndon. I haven't seen much from him yet. None of us have. He hasn't played much in the NFL. So this stat projection is a complete guess, and if you don't like it and you want to argue with me, I'm not going to put up much of a fight because I don't have a super um, strong, convincing argument for why I think Hernan is going to hit the certain projections that I have for him. I'm going off a very small sample that we've seen of him in the NFL, and there's so many new targets and options in the Jets offense that it's going to be hard to be accurate with this. But I'm giving a similar target share to him that he had when he played last with slightly less because you have Le'Veon Bell in tow, and he's not somebody I'm going to be drafting. Then you have Jamison Crowder. Last year, his target share was 23.5%. I'm projecting a slight decrease to 23. He's a great draft value, and I have the the Jets passing more than they did last year. So even though his share, his target share is going to be lower, I think his targets could be higher total. Then you have Brashad Perryman. He is going to be very interesting. He's likely taking the Robbie Anderson role. That role that Robbie Anderson played last year garnered 18.5% of the targets. Mims coming in is going to take some targets away from everyone, but he hurts Quincy Inunua the most by far, and I think he's going to gonna just supplant Quincy Inunua, and Inunua is going to become irrelevant for fantasy purposes and become like the wide receiver four on the team. But I have Perryman projected for 18%. Remember, the Robbie rule was 185 last year, but I actually think Brashad Perryman is a more complete receiver than Robbie Anderson, which might be super risky to say because... I mean, we've seen Robbie be more valuable to a team and produce more. But from what I saw from Perryman last year with my Bucks and when Godwin and Evans was out, Perryman was running all kinds of routes. He was doing well. Um, and he makes a lot of actually spectacular grabs. That was not something we've really seen him do before. We He was somebody that struggled with drops. And that was part of the reason why he struggled seeing the field when he was healthy um, in the beginning of his career. And... We didn't really see that that much with the Bucks last year. And there were a lot of times he was grabbing the ball over the helmet of a defender or having like a, a fade on the sidelines or whatnot. He was making a lot of plays. So I actually think that he's going to be able to run um, a more diverse route tree than Robbie was running for the Jets. But I think he's going to get a similar target share, just a little bit less with the addition of Mims. And then that brings us to our last person for the Jets. Denzel Mims was a draft darling. People were expecting him to go in the first round. He came out after looking good um, at Baylor. He came out and blew everyone's expectations out of the water in his 40-yard dash. He had the fastest uh, three cone. And, I mean, he just he's an athletic freak. He's huge. He has a very good catch radius. He basically wins all his 50-50 balls. He's a very good receiver. He has potential to develop into a very good wide receiver one for Sam Darnold. But obviously, he's a rookie this year. We can't really project him to just take a whole bunch of targets because that pretty much never happens for rookies. And so because of that, I think he's going to be competing with Perryman for the second most targets. And one person on Twitter said something to me, which I thought was pretty interesting, but I feel like I have a pretty good reasoning against it. And it was um, talking about why do I think that Mims is going to compete with Perryman for the same amount of targets? Um, and why do I have them projected so close in targets? Because I have Mims at 95 about and Perryman at about 100. Remember, I just round for you guys' sake. I don't give you like every specific yard and everything. But I have them about five targets apart. And, you know, the person was like, why he was drafted in the late second Perryman was so good last year for the Bucks, and they paid Perryman and brought him in why do you think that Perryman might not have um, a significant difference in targets compared to Mims and my response was this Denzel Mims is a rookie yes and that was a part of his argument he was saying you know Denzel Mims is not only a rookie but because of the shortened training camp and everything it's going to be hard for him to learn the office offense but this is my response how is Brashad Perryman any more at an advantage than Denzel Mims in terms of being a New York Jet they are both rookies Brashad Perryman was not with the Jets last year he's coming from a new team 
and he is just as much of um or just as much at a disadvantage as Denzel Mims is in terms of learning the offense because of you know the pandemic and uh, virtual offseason and all that and he's not like an established vet kind of guy like a, a Larry Fitzgerald or a Brandon Marshall when they added Brandon Marshall or Eric Decker even when they added him he's not like the type of vet that just comes in and oh yeah that guy's definitely going to garner this so many targets Perriman is basically a rookie um, in terms of how he fits into the situation in New York, just like Denzel Mims. So that's why I have him competing for around the same targets. But I did like that question. Um, it was something that, you know, made me think. And I don't I, I just love getting questions asked like that. And um, whenever you guys have questions like that, I hope you guys are willing to throw those out there, throw them uh, at me and, you know, make me defend myself. That's part of fantasy football. We always give our takes. We have our research. We have our opinions. But Nobody is ever right all the time, and we always learn from each other, and that's how we get better at fantasy. So I'm always open to having my opinion change. If you guys ever think you hear something that doesn't sound right, let me know, and I'll either jump on your bandwagon and, you know, change my projections as I see fit with the new information you've brought me, or I'll be able to defend myself and maybe change your opinion and you'll come to my side. But, you know, that's what fantasy is about. Sorry, that was a little tangent, but... It's just something I, I, I like to mention. And so here are my projections for the Jets. Sam Darnold, I have at 17.3 points per game, 4,000 yards, 25 touchdowns, 100 rushing, and one rushing touchdown. Denzel Mims, I have at 10.5 points per game. He is one of my highest-rated rookie receivers for immediate impact. I have him at 95 targets, 55 receptions, 800 receiving yards, 6 touchdowns. Jamison Crowder, I have at 11.6 points per game, so just above Mims because of his high volume, 125 targets, 75 receptions, 850 receiving yards, four touchdowns, and then Brashad Perryman, I have at 10.1, so very close to Mims, who is at 10.5. Brashad Perryman is 10.1, 100 targets, five more than Mims, 50 receptions, five less than Mims because he's going to run deeper routes more often and they're going to just be harder to have a high catch rate for. 800 receiving yards, so I actually have them pretty much back-to-back in receiving yardage and five touchdowns. Um, I'm fine if you want to take Perryman in front of Mims or Mims in front of Perryman. Either way, I think is a good bet, but I do think Mims has better potential, and that's why I'll be taking Mims instead of Perryman. Then we have Le'Veon Bell. Remember, I told you I'm higher than him um, than most are, and I think he's a good value in drafts right now. I'm at 15.8 points per game, 1,050 rushing yards, 55 receptions, 450 yards, bringing him to 1,500 yards total, and eight touchdowns. Frank Gore, like I said, irrelevant, five and a half points per game, 500 rushing, 10 receptions for 100 receiving, and three touchdowns total. I have him poaching a couple, but not a big deal. Then Chris Herndon, I have at 7.6 points per game, 65 targets, 40 receptions, 550 receiving yards, and four touchdowns, and that wraps up the AFC East. Yes, the AFC East. And that leaves us one division. And I specifically left this division last um, because I think there are a lot of interesting players. You have the Deontay Johnson versus James Washington debate in Pittsburgh. You have the J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram split in Baltimore that we have to try to figure out. And how much regression are we going to see for Lamar Jackson? And then you have in Cincinnati, the wide receiver, um, competition between T. Higgins, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, John Ross, and Auden Tate, and Joe Burrow, and Joe Mixon, and I'm excited to see where I end up statting out that offense with everything that I find when I do my research. And then lastly, the Browns, who have Odell and Jarvis, and, you know, is Jarvis going to be better than Odell again, or is Odell going to be better? Is Baker going to be, you know, is he going to improve from his down year um, last year? Is was it you know a lot of it the coach or do I think it was Baker? There's just a lot of interesting questions. What about Chubb and Kareem Hunt? How do I think they split? Is Chubb gonna be, you know, worth a first round pick? I don't know, but I will have the answers to all of these questions for you at least based on everything that I find. In my opinion, um, on the last episode or the last projections episode for divisions, and then after that, I'll be able to get into, you know, a lot more um, special stuff like episode specials, like kind of like when I did the Tyrod Taylor one, I can give you guys sleeper episodes, um, bust episodes, mock drafts, you know, all that fun stuff. Um, and I actually have a, a hot take episode that I'm going to have come out pretty soon. And there's, I'm going to do it by projections. And then I'm also going to add a, a different type of hot take, which is like an exaggeration 
um, of something I think is possible, but I'm not projecting. So there's a lot of things that I have in store after we finish this last division. So let me know if you guys have any ideas. Um, please leave a review and a rating for me if you enjoy the podcast. And with that said, hope you guys have a good one. Keep diving deep into the info and uh, let's get better together. Have a good one, guys. Thank you.